thebibleproject.com. And they have these breakdown videos like this that will really, really give you some insight into other things. I want to read to you this morning as we start this new series in Hebrews. We're going to be looking at the letter to the Hebrews that actually says that Jesus is better. That's really the whole point. He's better than anything. Better than all the rest. Okay, so he is better than a lot of things. And the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us exactly what they think uh, is that he's better in. Okay, so let's read. Let's jump to Hebrews chapter 1. Because this really sets the tone for the entire letter. And I want to read just four verses today. And kind of break those down for you and help you see these. It says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it brings life and light to us. I pray that as we dive into this series on Hebrews and in these first few verses today, that you would illuminate, truly be the radiance of God's glory inside of us and help us to understand your word and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this revelation that we're talking about that that gets uh, displayed here in the first part of Hebrews is the understanding that the revelation comes by God through one particular son who is Jesus Christ and he is superior to all other previous revelations. So we'll talk about some of those revelations and what they look like in the Old Testament. But if you could just think about when it says in verse 1, in many, uh, at various times or many times and in many ways, it's going, we're going to dive into what that really looks like because there's prophecy in the Old Testament. Uh, there's poetry, which I don't know if you knew that, but there's poetry in there. Uh, there's some saucy stuff, uh, in Song of Solomon. Don't go there. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're, n- I don't think we'll ever do a series on that. Um, but, uh, there's some, there's differences in how God revealed himself over time to people. But Jesus is so superior, there will never be anything else that is better even in the future. So when we say the word superior, like, hey, a Mercedes Benz is superior to a Kia, they, they still are, well, I mean, that's my opinion, but I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. Um, when, when we look at that, they're still making improvements on both of those things. At some point in the future, they will be better than what they are today. The iPhone you have in your hand or in your purse uh, or the Samsung device that you have, they're still improving those, right? Um, anyway, they, they keep on making improvements. Uh, soon enough, there's gonna have, it's gonna have like 16 cameras on the back of it, okay? But they've got a lot of different things that they put improvements on. Jesus Christ is the best of the best and there will never be anything better than him. 
So this is really important for us to really grasp because we believe, according to Scripture, that he's the fullest expression of God's wisdom and he's the actual essential character of God himself, the being of God himself. So let's look at verse 1. And I want to give you some comments as we go through these four verses and point out some things that I think will be really helpful for you. I said a moment ago, at many times and in many ways, the many times here is talking about incrementally. It would be like, here's a little bit, and here's a little bit more. And then a year later, 10 years later, 30 years later, and here's a little bit more. So it kept building. It was kind of like building blocks. And we see that as we look at the total sum of scripture. The Old Testament revelation came in sections or portions at a time in different times. So like you have to think with your brain when the writer of Hebrews the video that we showed in just a few minutes ago, when it says they would have had all of these things in their mind, they have the benefit of understanding all of the revelation up until the point that they're alive. But the people who came out of Egypt were not carrying around a Bible. So you have to kind of backtrack to understand they were only getting what they could handle for that moment in time during the season of life that they were in, and that was all they got. And then the next season of life came, and then they added all those things together, and then there were more added to it, and more added to it. So you've got to be thinking clearly when we, when we talk about this. Um, the many ways that I mentioned just a minute ago, some of these... Uh, some of these ways would be like the prophets giving commandments or giving exhortations. They encouraged people. They actually yelled quite a bit um, at God's people because God's people need to be yelled at <clears throat> sometimes. Sometimes in visions, they had visions and they would share them with others or God would divinely reveal himself in a vision or in a dream of some sort. Can you think of somebody who had dreams in the Old Testament? Joseph, okay? It's a good good example. He was not only just a dreamer, but he also was able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. So God worked in various ways, sometimes even in a physical, supernatural way. Uh, my personal take on this, and I've done quite a bit of study, but I've, I'm open to other things if there's some other information out there. When you look at the phrase, angel of the Lord, in the Old Testament... Nine times out of ten, that is referring to God himself in a physical form. It says the angel of the Lord stood in David's path with the sword. Uh, it says that the angel of the Lord visited Abraham. This is what we would call a theophany. It's a physical but supernatural representation of God himself in an actual form here on the planet. So God had a huge variety of different ways that he was trying to communicate. And I love what the prophet says, and I think we'd all be wise to be thinking about this. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament, and it says that the prophet was seeking to see or hear what the voice of the Lord was. The voice of the Lord was not in the thunder and the loud bangs of the crashes of the lightning. It wasn't in this, it wasn't in that. It was in a still, small voice. I think we do well to silence the thoughts and the voices that we hear and try to tune in to what God wants to say. So he did this through prophecy, dreams, visions, actually showing up, and then even in a still small voice. Look at what verse 2 says. It says, but in these last days, 
he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, the many ways that we talked about just a moment ago contrast with the single, the single and final revelation of God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So it says in verse two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, let me just give you a little bit of insight because I'm trying to teach you the Bible and help you understand it. When it says, but in these last days, it's not saying that God is a liar and the world was supposed to end after they read that letter. It's actually just talking about in this new age that we are living in when we're reading this book. Okay, It's not apocalyptic like that God made a promise that he was going to end it all and take them home, and they didn't. But there was some crazy deception in the New Testament church. There were lots of people that thought that Jesus resurrected from the dead, went up to heaven, and he was going to be back in just a moment, in a few days. And so there were people, and you can read about it in Corinthians and other places, where Paul is encouraging the people and going, hey, listen, I know that we are expecting him and we should be expecting him, but please... Still live like a Christian. Still choose the right choices. Still wait and look for his return. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by the single and final revelation of his, of his son. I would say this, that Isaiah, Jeremiah, any of the Old Testament prophets, none of them could hold a candle to Jesus Christ. They were human, fallible people who heard what they heard and then shared that with others. They spoke to people for God in many instances, but they still were regular average people. God's son is much, much different. It says this, whom he appointed the heir of all things. And I want to talk about these phrases that appear. I think it's important for you to think about this in this way. When it says that he appointed the heir of all things, what do you think of when you think of an inheritance? You think of death, right? I mean, somebody had to die in order for you to inherit whatever it is. But this is not like God is retiring or passing away and saying, hey, uh, you know, when I'm gone, I'm going to give it all to my son, Jesus. So we've got to understand it's not as much as, it, as we read the word heir and think about it in our modern sense. We need to be thinking more along the lines of co-sharing or co-ruling together. That God appointed Jesus Christ with the same authority he has, with the same abilities, because he is the essence of God himself, to be able to rule and to reign identically to the Father. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that in this series. But think about an inheritance that we have here in the world right now. The inheritance goes to the youngest first. Is that right? Who does it go to? It goes to the oldest in most cases, unless you really ticked off your mom or your dad. I hate to open up old wounds. Uh, but if, if that's the case, it goes to the firstborn, right? So we need to think about it in these terms. There are two things actually mentioned in the first four verses that get shared or inherited. The first thing would be all things. Verse 2, it says, all things, the, the heir of all things. And in verse 4, it talks about his name, a name that he has inherited. But if you'll stay with me there on verse 2, it says, through whom he created the world. 
I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus was present at creation. If you go back and read Genesis 1 through 3, you can see clear evidence. This is not uh, arbitrary stuff that we're just reading into the text. You can see clear evidence of the Trinity, what we believe God represented as Father, Son, and Spirit, all present in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. God spoke the world into existence, spoke with his word. And John comes along and writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus is obviously the agent of creation. And back in the verse we just read, he upholds all things. So he's the one who is holding it all together. But why? Why this particular son different from all the others? Why is he deserving of this status? So verse 3 says this. It tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature. If you were following closely on the video at the very last point, they showed what used to be known, and I think they still have them in some places today, a signet ring. It had a seal, the seal of the king that was on the ring. And whenever they would make a document to send to somewhere else, they would seal it closed with wax. And the king himself or one of the appointed people would dip his ring inside of, uh, inside of that band of wax and impress his, his symbol on that, his stamp on that. So here it says the exact imprint of his nature. It's an identical match. Then it says this. It says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So in addition to being an agent of creation, the actual one who was present, the word was with God and was God from the beginning. It gives us five things in this verse. In verse 3, there are five things about this particular son, Jesus Christ, that makes him worthy of being the one that we worship today and being known as God's son. And I want to lay those out for you, but I want to tell you something because I'm probably saying something strange to your ears. When I keep saying one particular son, you might be thinking, well, yeah, we're children. I'm a child of God. If you look back in the Old Testament, there is some pretty wild stuff that doesn't get talked about a lot called the host of heaven. It shows up in Deuteronomy chapter 32. I'd encourage you to read that in your own time. And if you have questions about it, we can talk about it. But there are other su supernatural, not supreme, but other supernatural beings. Jesus is the one, though, that is chosen. And this verse gives us the five things as to why he was chosen. Verse In verse 3, the first thing is this, the radiance of the glory of God. You can put up that list. Yeah, there you go. The radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint, or we could say representation of his being, the upholder or sustainer of all things, the one who purifies us from our sins, and the one who is seated at the right hand of God himself. These are things that establish him as worthy to inherit what has been given to him. 
to be able to rule. So I want you to think about this because it establishes the fact that he is worthy to be a co-possessor of all things and why he has the name that is above all names. Mandy, did you email me at all this week? No. Every single one of the worship songs, I kind of, sometimes I wish we did worship at the end, like the whole set, because I was standing there just thinking to myself, the words of each of these songs match up perfectly. She didn't email me. We didn't coordinate that. The Holy Spirit did. The songs we sang this morning have reference to these very things, that Jesus Christ is the the cornerstone. There's no other name above his name. So in a nutshell, these five things identify this particular son with God himself. So I want you to think about the first one, the radiance of the glory of God. This is the only time it appears in your Bible. It's the only time it appears. And we could talk more about Hebrews and our thoughts about who wrote it and the different details that go into authorship. Uh, Scholars believe it has the best written Greek of its time. And there, was, there are even schools of thought that say it could have been a female author. Um, they, it is unknown to us who wrote it, but they wrote something very significant when they call him the radiance of the glory of God. The Torah, which you heard on the video this morning, is really Moses' law. It's the first five books of the Bible. The Torah, the law of God, which the Jewish people today still hold in very high esteem and regard, is not the radiance of the glory of God. It can fully reflect who God is. It is a list of do's and don'ts, and maybe you can find me if you do these things, but it is not the glory of God or the radiance of it. So we also have to realize that the law that God gave to those people back then, it was not the agent of creation. The Son is. So these five things that we're going to talk through right now are all about identifying Jesus Christ as the son who is worthy to be supreme over all of creation and over everything. He already has these things. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint, that word imprint actually in the Greek is, I would try to pronounce it in Greek, but it's English for character. When we say type this character or he is a character or she has this characteristic, it comes from this because it's talking about the actual representation of his nature. This particular son is the actual being of God himself. Think about this. The Apostle Paul refers to Christ as the image of God. If you're taking notes, you can write them down, but 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 Colossians 1 verse 15, he calls Jesus Christ the image of God. John says in chapter 14 and in chapter 1 that to have seen the Son is to have seen the Father. Now, you may look more like your mom than your dad, or you may look 50-50. It depends on the day with my kids and who I'm holding and what I'm wearing. People are like, she looks just like you. And then the next day, I'm with the other one. She looks just like you. I'm like, they both act like their mom. So, no, I'm just kidding. You're supposed to laugh. It's all right. (laughs) Which I'm very happy. They both won awards this week because um, they are smart, just like their mama. 
Um, but we have to understand that the exact imprint of who he is means that he is a unique character. He is the revelation of God. He's not lesser than he is God. Look at the next one, the upholder. I want you to hear with your spiritual ears this morning. The word upholder is presently working to uphold. He is presently sustaining all things, the Bible says. He has been, he is now, and he will be. He would have had to have been from the beginning because he was there at creation. How else can he uphold something he wasn't part of? So he is the upholder, sustainer of all things. And I believe there should be encouragement to our hearts today from his word about that. It says there, the fourth thing is the one who provided purification for sins. The Bible explains to us very clearly that he is the sacrifice for our sins. And it's only his sacrifice that could redeem, heal, restore, and change us. Your sins require forgiveness or judgment. And he's the one who's provided a purification from those sins. Forgiveness comes through acceptance of Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross. The truth is, you and I, if we told a single lie, are guilty of the whole law. Guilty of infraction against the whole law. And we are to understand that we should be the one who's on the cross. But we wouldn't be able to save anyone, even ourselves. Jesus Christ is the one who is the substitute for you and for me to give us purification. So we ought to honor that as believers. The writer is going to tell us later in Hebrews that there is no amount of animal blood, there's no amount of animal meat that can be sacrificed on an altar that could ever compare. If every, I would put it in my paraphrase today, if every animal on the planet was killed and put on an altar before God, it still wouldn't be enough. So God gave them this image a long time ago to point them forward to see that there was going to come a day when a sacrifice was going to be made that would actually count. But those were just placeholders until God sent his son to us. And I love this last one, the occupant of the throne at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Um, Have you ever heard the phrase, the right hand man? He's my right hand man or she's my right hand woman. Um, God has a right hand and there's only one who's worthy of being there. And that is Jesus Christ himself. He's an extension of God in every way, including in human form for our benefit. No one else qualifies to sit at God's right hand except for Jesus himself. Look at what verse four says. Verse four says this, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This needs to be read with the understanding that it's not that he wasn't superior in the past and that he just achieved superiority. But more that we can see in chapter 2, verse 7, you'll see it says that he was made a little lower than the angels for a time. And then he was 
brought back to the place of superiority. The place that he came lower than the angels is to mankind itself. So he is now returning to that place of superiority. He gave it up. It says that he gave it up on our behalf so that he could be with us, walk with us, and experience this life. And not just because he didn't know what it was to experience it, but because he had a goal and a mission, and that was to redeem us. So he surrendered his status for a time in heaven. To be able to come down to be with us. He's had this status from the beginning. But when he was born of the Virgin Mary, he became a little lower than the angels. And now he's become superior again. Jesus didn't become superior to the angels only after the cross and after the resurrection. In fact, he was superior to them even while he was made a little lower than them. Because I've got proof. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying, and it's a, it's a wonderful example of prayer. Jesus prays, he prays for the people with him, prays for people who are coming to, to be in the family, prays for different things, prays for unity for the believers, and he says something really interesting before he ever went to the cross, before he ever resurrected from the grave, before he ever ascended to go back to heaven, he says this, I've come to manifest or make known your name. I thank you for the name that you've given to me, your name. So he's already in, in that frame of mind. We've got to understand that God wants Jesus to be seen as the one who is superior to all else. And he has not been dethroned and then fought back to get to his throne again. No, he has always and will always be supreme. Basically, you could think about it like this. Jesus is kind of saying, isn't it great in John chapter 17? Isn't it great that I'm down here and I've been becoming a man? And I'm here to reveal your name because you've given me your name. I am you. You've given me this body. And now I am here to be among them and show them who you are. That's really what he's, what he's getting at. Remember, if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. I want to give you some takeaways today from these four verses. And if you think, whoa, Pastor, that was a whole message on four verses of the Bible. We're going to do this for 37 weeks. No, we're not. In fact, I'm skipping all of chapter 1 um, after this point. But I would encourage you... Use the YouVersion Bible app and you can read through Hebrews and prepare yourself before the next messages in the series. But we won't talk about anything else in chapter 1. We'll go to another section of Hebrews and talk through that. I want to share just three thoughts with you as I close and ask you to consider these things. I'm sure you're like, thank you, Pastor. You did so much research this week. Blood, sweat, and tears to explain the Bible to me. This is great. I, I think Jesus is superior, but how, what do I do about that in my life? I'm going to tell you three different takeaways. The one I kind of hinted at earlier is this, that he's the sustainer of all things. And I think this is really encouraging. It should be. <laughs> it encouraged me this week. Because if he wasn't holding it all together, it'd all be down the toilet by now. If you're walking through a difficult season... You should take courage. Jesus is better. 
He's better than the hardship that you face. He's better than the sickness, the job issue, the financial problem, the challenge in your relationship, whatever it is that you're facing. He's better than those things and he's here to help you. He wants to uphold all things and he has a right to do so because we're his creation. So we, we willingly say, God, here's my problems. God, help me out with these things. Maybe that's you today and you need to give him something that you have been focused on uh, recently. You say, well, I already prayed a prayer and I I gave it to him. Keep giving it to him. Because there's this funny thing about us as humans. We like to take things back. And sometimes we take the burden back that we've already given to the Lord. And the Lord says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest so you can receive rest today. The second thing is this. Maybe there's someone here today, and I was so excited last, I think, last Sunday. We had two people who raised their hands and prayed with us at the end of service to receive Jesus Christ into their life. But the question really is this. Have you accepted his purification for sins? Maybe you're a believer and you've walked away and haven't really been with him and you need to say, God, I'm committing myself to walk with you anew and afresh today. Or maybe it's somebody who's here who has not accepted him for the very first time, but you can do that today. The Bible says that you simply need to believe that he is the son of God, like we've been talking about today. You need to admit that you're a sinner And say, God, I need you. And then you accept him into your life. You accept his lordship or rulership over your entire life. It is not about saying some magical prayer. It is about living a life that really demonstrates he lives inside of you. It's not just that Jesus was born in a manger or born and then placed in a manger. But rather that he wants to be born inside of every human heart. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him for us that anyone who believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you can do that today. And if you want instructions and help on how to do that, we can do that for you. I want to ask you to stand as I tell you this last takeaway. At the end of our service, we have one worship song during prayer time. And we just say, if you need help, and prayer for anything going on in your life. We'd love to pray for you. The third takeaway is this. So not just the encouragement of sustaining your life, not just the, hey, have you received him? But the third thing is, what other thing or person are you allowing to challenge the superiority of Christ in your life? What other thing has all your attention all your time, all your affection, all it's got you knocked off course. And sure, it might be a hardship that you just can't kind of see your way out of. But for a lot of us, we have forgotten there's a section in scripture that's talked about all through scripture. It's called the Ten Commandments. And it says, no other gods before me, that we're to have nothing else in the place, in the rightful place of Jesus. So maybe there's something that you have in your life that you have not submitted to him. And I'm asking you today to submit to him every aspect. 
we ought to be careful to keep Christ superior in our life daily, not just once a week, not just twice a week, but every day and say, Jesus, you're on the throne. You're the one in charge. I trust you and help me to focus on him and nothing else. We pray this simple prayer every time that we're together, really. And it is just this, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Because we believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to you even today, right now where you're at. Maybe one of those takeaways is your takeaway today. I want to ask you to respond either in his presence at your seat right now, or you step out from your seat and go see Meg or Amy at these prayer stations. We'd love to pray for you. You don't have to be a member of our church, but would you just say that with me out loud today? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And then give him a moment to reply, to tell you, and then let's respond to him together.